This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect. Committed to change. Welcome, uh, Mr. Tim Silverwood, to the Ocean Protect podcast. Um, the guy's a bit of a legend from from our point of view. The stuff you've been doing for a long time, I believe over 10 years, take three. Yeah, 10 years is turning 10 in October. And um, before that, yeah, lots of other stuff that I've been involved with. But yeah, it's been well, a while. Well, give us give us the, the 101. Um, you know, where did you come from? I guess I grew up as someone naturally attracted to conservation. I think I got a bit of that in my DNA. My mum was a bit of a, a bit of a hippie back in the day and born up in the gorgeous hippie trail of Cairns and Nature and the oceans were just part of my life from being tiny little tacker. So fast forward to studying at school and uni, I, I wanted to learn about conservation. At that time in the, in the nineties, we just sort of had the first, um, you know, Rio conference on sustainability and it was an emerging cause. I loved geography and so studied science and sustainability at uni. And, um, yeah, sort of fast forward into my, you know, mid twenties, traveling the world and seeing the way that humans were impacting the natural environment in places like India and Indo. And you're there surfing, you're chasing adventure, but you're seeing firsthand mm. the, the results of our, our human sort of ignorance. Um, and so that just kind of kept building up inside me to the point when I was, you know, 29, when I got exposed to, to Mandy and Roberta's idea of take three. And it was just all the stars aligned and I just jumped straight in. And, uh, yeah, in October, it'll be 10 years since we first met and, and launched this crazy little beast called Take Three for the Sea. It's an amazing initiative, isn't it? Like, uh, I, I came across Tim. Tim presented it. He was a keynote speaker at a conference we had, uh, probably four or five years ago. And even this is a stormwater conference and it was very, it was a big revelation for a lot of the stormwater people to, for, for Tim to talk about ocean pollution. It was amazing. And the footage you showed and talked about where this pollution is coming from. It was a real eye opener, even for stormwater people. It was bizarre. But Tim, long story short, was the star of the show. He was like, I remember he, he drove in a, a combi bus, I think it was, from northern beaches of Sydney or something, up to Noosa, which is a pretty nice trip, really, to face it. Full of surfboards. <laughs> <Yeah. out. laughs> and uh, and came landed in Noosa and wowed the crowd and got on, got on his bus and drove off in the sunset. And it was funny time, right, because at that point I'd obviously take three was ticking along and getting a, a little bit bigger here and there, but I think it was – 
2011 when I, I got the opportunity to go out and sail across the North Pacific to see mm, the Great oh, wow. Pacific Garbage Patch. And that experience for me, I almost felt this sense of duty and obligation. Like I'd gone out there and I'd seen it and I'd interacted with the scientists and the activists who were leading the charge on talking about this issue. So when I came back to Australia, I just felt so compelled. So gosh, the amount of talks I would have done, like I've just forgotten about so yeah, many yeah. keynote presentations, yeah. talking to councils, talking to this, that and the other schools, like literally into the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of out there talks and, and events that I've just held. And I guess that's, um, that's all part and parcel of the journey, which is I'm yeah. so stoked to see the journey that you guys are on because I can see that same fire in the yeah. belly that like no questions asked. We are going out there and we're doing this. We don't need to know where it's going to take us. Let's just go. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Tim, Tim asked uh, me and Jeremy before, what's the three to five year plan? And we're like, uh, I don't know. But uh, I think the key message is we're giving it a crack. Like, and I, and I, I love hearing you talk, Tim, because you are obviously super passionate. And obviously when you get me and Jeremy together and yourself, it's, it's probably going to be hard to actually get a word in edgeways because we're all so passionate. But do you think that passion you've, you, you've got, has that really come from just your first hand experience, you know, sailing across the, uh, the ocean and seeing the plastic and the, and the just, I've, I've seen the footage you've shown of that beach in uh, Hawaii. I think it was plastic beach. I mean, it's just, you can't walk away from that and go, Oh, well, I'm just going to go live my normal life really. Yeah, look, I think um, that's definitely a big part of it. Like you, you task yourself up with you know this this thing that sort of defines you. And so for me, at the moment, you know, this is this is me. Like Tim Silverwood, he's a he's a campaigner who who talks about plastic pollution in the ocean and waste and the circular economy. Like this is my thing, and and I love that. But I think it goes even deeper than that. You know, it gets even deeper in a philosophical context. Like I'm deeply concerned about how disconnected we are from the planet, from the yeah. natural world, and. And so for me, I love that this issue that we're here talking about today, it's so symptomatic of our disconnection that we're just yeah. allowing our oceans to be the sink of all our poor behaviour, our poor yeah. form. Um, wildlife are suffering. And so I think we've got a real opportunity here through this issue to give people that little wake-up call to yeah. go, oh, right, okay, yeah, we, we need to change our ways. Yeah. Well, just just for the, uh, again, we're, I think we're up to maybe 500 listeners, um, <laughs> mum obviously included. Can you explain the, the fundamental mission of Take 3 just for all those people out there? Yep. So obviously rewind to 2009, Let's get people talking about plastic pollution. And the vessel for that is this simple call to action. Take three pieces of rubbish with you when you leave a natural place. So of course, that's the beach. It's the waterways. But what we're really trying to do now, 10 years on is really broaden that. You know, as you guys say, the ocean is downhill from everywhere. So mm. no matter where we are in the environment, if we see plastic on the ground, we've got a remarkable opportunity to be part of the solution right then and there to grab it. And to hold it up high. Yeah. And of course, with the success of our organization, a lot of that has come from the, what's happening in the digital world. You can take that photograph yeah. of your little action right there. You can share it and your friends and your community are going, yes, I'm into that. Yeah. And so that hashtag, take three for the seas, close to a hundred thousand uses on Instagram. And wow. when you actually analyze the digital, um, reach of our take three for the sea and we've assessed how many pieces on average you collect when you do this. It's over 10 million items every year that are being picked up by you and you and everyone else out there who's going to do it after they listen to this podcast. <laughs> so it actually adds up. Yeah. Totally. It's huge. And it's not just Australia, is it? Like you can do the analytics and show where people are taking three for the sea. Yeah, we did um, analysis last year in 2018 and it was 129 countries. Wow. That is that's cool. incredible. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah that's cool. One thing uh, Brad and I spoke about 
was we or Brad did some calcs about when it rains, how much you know gross pollutants and gross pollutants is anything above five mil is going into our waterways, and I can't remember the exact calc, but we had a pretty big rainfall event and you calc out one Olympic size swimming pool of gross pollutants yeah. went into the harbour in this one rain event just from the catchment area. Just one rainfall yeah. event. Yeah, I think it was about a one Olympic size pool of rubbish yeah. just washed into Sydney Harbour. And I guess what I wanted to ask you, Tim, is have you done any analysis on the different types of plastic that you're picking up as far as size, where it comes from? Are you starting to look into anything like that you could share with us? Yeah, look, when we started back in uh, 2009, there's an organisation that was established over in WA called Tangaroa Blue mm. and Heidi Taylor, who's the um, the amazing woman behind that, her whole thing was data because when she mm. started the project in southwest WA, she was finding a lot of remnants from like the crayfishing industry and stuff and she realised that if she went to these crayfishers and just said, oh, you guys, you know, you're – you're just polluting the oceans around here, stop it. She was going to get nowhere. So she started collecting data. So she has quite incredibly created the Australian Marine Debris Initiative database that we use to this day. So anytime we're doing a coordinated cleanup event, we catalogue all the rubbish and there's now a huge online database freely accessible that you can access. But look, for my mind, it's it's still not enough. I'm really into what um, changes can take around data collection, especially the immediacy of data collection. So my goal for a long time, and I have applied for a few grants and spoken to a few big multinationals, would be about an app that uses machine learning and AI. You take your photograph of the trash that you found right then and there and boom, it's gamified, it's there, and it shows you um, immediately what people are picking up in the environment. Because I think we do need to go to the next level of using data to define solutions. With with that data, you're just someone with an opinion and I think that's a key thing that we've sort of learnt in some of the podcast chats we've had over the last month or so when obviously now in the last few years just in, in the installment industry yeah but I guess the the data that we see is is overwhelmingly look we, we see the common types of pollutants and it's the same stuff that we see in our stormwater drains are the same ones we see on the beach so for example I was on Manly Beach this morning and I, I took took three for the sea Took a photo, put on Instagram, but it was the, it was the, it was the classics. It was cigarette butts. It was plastic wrappers. Uh, there was some broken glass and the key ones that we see time and time again, probably the, the, the top ones are the single use plastic water bottles, wrappers, plastic bags, cigarette butts. And they're the ones we see in some of the crazy footage we see in whales and albatrosses and seabirds and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if you, you're listening to this podcast, you're probably already on board, but this is what we're talking about here, right? We, we live a plasticized existence. We're interacting with this material every single moment of every single day, whether it's the sheets that we're sleeping in or the shoes on our feet or the wrapping around our food and beverages. And that gets into the oceans and waterways. And so we can do all that we can to try and change the conversation, to change the systems in how we consume this stuff. But unless we address the elephant in the room, which is that the ocean's downhill from everywhere yeah. and it gets there via our catchments, it's exactly segue what you guys are doing. And that's the thing. So, like, this is – I was talking to Tim before we, we started recording about, you know, this is a massive problem. You know, we've, we've quoted the figure. We think there'll be more mass of plastic in the in the oceans than fish by 2050. I mean, that that is a crazy statistic. The the amount of plastic, you know, you, you mentioned before, we think about a, a, a swim, Olympic swimming pool of rubbish went into Sydney Hub just for one rainfall. Yeah, event. but people don't, like when I say that to people, people are like, yeah. 
you it, know. But but but, I, but I think I think I think the key reason for that is because environmental issues often it's just the problem's so big and the solutions are so out of reach. You think, oh man, I've just got to you know, take the kids to school and, and make a living and pay the mortgage or whatever. It's, well, yeah. the, the solutions just seem completely out of reach. And, and that's, and that's our job to educate people to say it's not out of reach. And that's, exactly. what, that's what the take three initiative totally. has done so well is yeah. to go, Hey guys, we've got to start somewhere. Cause a lot of people feel overwhelmed. Even speaking to on uh, ABC last night, Chris Bath, even, even her uh, comments to us afterwards was, Wow, this is, it's massive. It's a massive yeah. problem. So to be able to, initiatives like Tim's, being able to explain to people and, and educate people on just the simple things. And I think that's been the key yeah. to your success in take three is just, it's simple. It's take a simple three. solution. It's simple. Anyone can do it. It doesn't cost you any money. You can do it almost any time. And it's very empowering. And you go, well, I've, I've made a tangible difference here. This is three cigarette butts and a plastic wrapper. This, I know it's not going to end up in the, in the belly of a, of a seabird or a whale or something. That makes me feel good. And from a purely selfish perspective, it makes me feel good, but it also makes me feel empowered, but it also makes me feel connected to the solution. And I think that's a great thing that the take three does. You go, simple thing, take three bits of rubbish, but you're making a huge difference. Collectively, we can make a huge difference. What's, yeah. what's your, um, like in regional areas? Like, so for instance, we live in the, we're on the northern beaches, Tim and I, Brad's up in, in Brisbane. You know, when you go, I was up in Coffs Harbour, uh, two weeks ago. W- do you see the same type of pollutions in regional areas that we see? The simple thing I like to say is you protect what you love, right? So when we've gone and delivered programs in, in regional areas, even in far inland locations, a real key to the success of the program being adopted is to identify what people associate with and love. So if that's a local river or that's a local park or that's a local token species, you've really got to try and build that around it. But yeah, it's safe to say, of course, that the, the premier success of our, of our message has been in coastal areas because people have such a deep affinity for that, um, that particular environment. But we're seeing increasingly, which is the reason why we've gone through a bit of a, a rebrand in the last six months is trying to broaden that and say, well, it's actually the entire planet. You can take three for the forests. You can take three for the deserts. You can take three anywhere. And it's to your point, Brad, you know, this is a way of people feeling connected, not just for their own self-satisfaction. And that can be, why not, selfish reasons, but it's to others. And mm. that's that whole idea of a movement. And I think the only way you can really challenge some of these fundamentally um, complicated issues like climate change and ocean pollution is by building a human movement. Like humans created the problem. It has to be humans that solve it. And I know you guys obviously do an incredible amount of work in terms of those interventions and how you can use engineering, but you're still going to sell that to a human and you're still going to sell that to the the world in order to create the environment that people will invest such significant funds in those solutions. Candy, uh, my mother, um, I think she... We're on Instagram now, Ocean Protect. I'm not. Uh, but Candy <laughs> thinks it's my personal account. So, uh, when we did our launch and there was a photo of you coming up and it was, you know, take three. So mum then jumps on and she goes, what about take eight for the lake? <laughs> and I was like, go Candy. Go <laughs> Candy. Candy. You know? Hey, if Candy can mean I can retire, can with it, I'm, I'm cool with that. The goal of every charity should be to make themselves redundant. Yeah, yeah. Candy. Could you imagine yourself retiring though, Tim, in all seriousness? You, you, you must be having a great time. I'm, I'm an environmentalist, you know, to the core and I'm here to stay. Um, but I do see that even just in our journey, you know, 10 years ago, you tried to talk about plastic pollution. You got 
glazed expressions and people were just like, what? Yeah. And then fast forward to now with, you know, the David Attenborough effect and yeah. we've got all these incredible movements happening around the world. So I'm thrilled, but you know, fast forward another 10 years and who knows the environmental issues that we're going to be talking yeah. about and at what level we're going to be at in terms of that very mature, civilized, solutions-oriented conversations because we've got a long, long, long way to go. Well, what is a re- reasonable goal? Like if you, if you said, okay, uh, Scott Morrison, Bill Shorten, whoever it might be, what's our 10-year goal for Australia? We were talking uh, obviously this morning about some of the um, regions in the world that are, are being very bold around preventing ocean plastics. And as we've identified, I mean, we are the ones that create this problem on land and waterways and the oceans and the broader environment are the victims. So what interventions can we make to just stop it? Like, why not? You know, we're, we're a very ingenious species. We can, we've done a lot so we can actually start to focus more of that on solutions. Totally. And, and so what, what do the solutions look like then? Well, well. Mate, obviously we're going to – well, from my point of view, it's consumer-based. If we are wanting to buy things in plastic, people will keep selling it to us in plastic. Yeah. So, you know, I think A said it on his podcast. It actually comes down to the individual. You know, it's supply and demand. Totally. You know, and I, look, I notice it. You know, you think you're you're doing well and 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 not buying things and plastic. You can't get away from it sometimes. Well, at I'll, all. I'll give you an know. example. I was at a Starbucks. Oh, I, I was in uh, Manly. I was staying overnight in Manly, so I'm after down from Brisbane for the for the night. And I, I was wandering around. Where do I get some some green smoothie and some something to eat for breakfast? And I went to I went to Starbucks. I've never actually been to a Starbucks before. Would you believe? You went I, to Starbucks. I don't in drink Manly. coffee. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm like just that, like I, almost out of a, an interest because I knew we were almost going to talk about this thing today. And I looked at what they've got, and everything was wrapped in plastic. That, but having said that, they had a they had a shelf full of uh, multi use items like coffee cups and smoothie um, jugs, whatever. Um, and I, and I looked at the one thing that I could see that actually wasn't wrapped in plastic was a veggie roll or something. And I ordered that and they gave it to me and it was, they gave it to me on a, on a plastic plate with a plastic knife. And I, and they actually asked me, do you want sauce? And I said, no, I don't want sauce. It, uh, they came with sauce, which was in a plastic wrapper and that was wrapped in a, 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 a brown paper bag. Now I think the plastic might have been some fancy one that maybe takes a while to biodegrade, whatever, but I'm like, I just wanted a, a, a veggie roll on a ceramic plate that I could eat in the cafe. Why do I need all this stuff to go with it? Actually, that's quite funny. I can't remember who we were talking to. An airline has recently gone back to ceramic and knives and forks and stuff. Yeah. And, and obviously, you, you've got a um, security issue yeah. there with knives and forks. But it's actually saving them money by going back to the old style because they're, you know, washing them at the end, you know, like they used to do in the old days. Mm. And they're, they're actually not only reducing their plastic consumption, but it's more profitable to mm. do that. It's, that, that that's got to be the key. I agree. For, for people to change, then big business needs to step in and come up with a solution to, to help that transition. Yeah. Like if, you, if you're not going to use plastic, what are you going to use? You know? Yeah. And then you've got, uh, health concerns. So, you know, like what are our alternatives to wrapping stuff in plastic? Because some stuff needs to be wrapped in plastic. If you want to go buy some uh, salmon, well, are you going to put that in a paper bag? Could do. Well, no, you can't. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I don't you know, know, you're, don't you're, you're in, no, no, <laughs> <laughs> Walk straight into that. <laughs> plain power. <laughs> Hashtag plain power. But no, but you, no, you know what I'm saying? Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Yeah. I won't talk about meat. I mean, but look, as an example, I, I saw some footage of a, of, a, of, a, of a convenience store in Thailand. I think it was a fruit and veg shop, but they sold a whole bunch of other stuff. Everything was wrapped in banana leaves. And why not? Well, we asked the question, why not? Why is everything wrapped in plastic? Why do I, if I get a juice or whatever at a, at a cafe, they give me a plastic straw? Why? Why can't I just drink it? It's, it's, it's this default response from a, uh, the proprietor of the shop to go, Here's everything. Here's all the other crap that goes with this product that you're buying. I don't want that other crap. Well, then, then it's come back to it as it, yeah. consumer demand. Yeah. So if, if we all start saying that, I mean, I think I said it as well. Gone are the days of walking in to uh, the milk bar and getting a milkshake out mm. of the, the the silver thing. Yeah. If if we're allowing ourselves to do this, and we're actually enabling the companies to produce it, so. Really, we're answering our own questions. So you shouldn't have bought anything this morning. I, well, I, I was pretty hungry. <laughs> <laughs> see, there we go. That's- but I, I, I thought, well, I'm not, I'm not going to – this is the only thing I can see. And I, I wanted I wanted the green smoothie and all that sort of stuff. I'm like, the, the, everything was in plastic. So I'm like, no, I'm just have the veggie roll thinking that it would be plastic-free, and it wasn't. But then I went to another cafe down the road, and they gave me this beautiful vegan bar and a, and a green smoothie. In a, in a, and I said, I'm going to drink it here because I don't want it in a plastic container. And it came out in a metal – Oh, uh, flask, but then they chucked a plastic straw in there. I'm like, oh, they, they came close, but I reckon we're getting close. At least Starbucks, to their credit, had a shelf full of multi-use things for sale. Like they weren't just selling the single-use plastic cups. They're trying. So I, I see, I don't know about you, Tim and Jeremy, I think we're getting some of the way. Oh, we're, we're, we're not, not there yet. Oh, I, I reckon know. we're a long way, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Tim this question because I, his fingers on the pulse a lot better than ours. What do you think, mate? <laughs> I'm going to try and um, articulate my feelings based upon that. <laughs> that, that great conversation I just watched unfold. So I do think there is a very human side of the solution, um, consumer facing, and I think that you know Starbucks having those reusable options mm. there has been based upon consumer demand, and I think that we are getting very close, uh, certainly in some markets, to a, a new normal yeah. in terms of, you know, the thoughts about a plastic straw or other types of single use plastic. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there to, to shift the paradigm from that, um, consumer perspective, particularly around sort of food service. So I think that's one thing. But I think, you know, you spoke before about what does solutions look like. I think what we need at a much more significant macro level is the shift to a circular economy, which mm. is really saying, okay, it needs to be profitable. It needs to be driven by business if we're going to change the, the status quo. And I think that circular economy principles, which you can look up online, just do some mm. searching on it or look up the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, who are probably the, the peak organization leading this sort of vigorous conversation. It's essentially saying, well, look in, in nature, which we are nature, we're human, humans, human beings. There's no such thing as waste, right? We uh, everything's natural. We we take 
nutrients in and we excrete nutrients and it goes back to nature and the whole systems continue. Trees live and die and plants and animals. It's, there's no such thing as waste in nature. So what we've sort of done as humans is create a very, very complex environment where everything is, is technical. Everything is so complex. So nature mm. doesn't know what to do with these things, but we can actually start to build some systems and procedures into our societies so that we can start to take back all of those nutrients that nature can't deal with. So, you know, we think about recycling now as being like, yeah, you pop it in the yellow bin or whatever the bin is in your area and you, you, you wipe your yeah. hands clean and you think the problem's been solved, but we actually don't know what happens to that stuff. But we can start to shift the dial so that people are are required to take back those nutrients and input it back into new products again. We can start to create those closed-loop systems, but we can also look to the other end, which is if there is purely disposable things, don't make them out of petroleum-based mm. plastic that's going to last on the planet for hundreds of years. Mm. Make it out of those biodegradable ingredients. Use green chemistry. Innovate your way to find a material that will decompose rapidly, mm. that will create systems in our environment so all our organic waste can be composted mm. to supplement natural agriculture mm. so we don't have to rely on synthetic fertilizers and pesticides. So there's so much we can do in that circular economy model, which gets me fired up and excited. So how does that happen though? Like it's a great concept, um, but how does it happen? Is it government led? Is it industry? Is it individuals? Yeah, it's all three. Yeah, It's all three. I mean, business is definitely the one that are going to take the hardest convincing because at the end of the day, there's a lot of these are public companies who exist solely to support more and more returns to anyone who's a shareholder. So unless we can get business across the line, then nothing will get better. Humans are already doing all that we really can right now. Like whatever's happening now, it's working because around the world, governments and jurisdictions are changing policy. The EU is really leading on some of these initiatives. Um, so the status quo is changing quite a bit through people and government. But for me, I think business, I, I think business for me is the big frontier. I've spent a lot of time feeling like on the other side of the fence as an activist saying, you guys are bad, you guys are this, you guys are the other. That's the way the world co operates. Yeah. We live in a capitalist society and businesses do rule the roost. Yeah, so definitely. I'm keen to get way more involved in business and understand how you pull those levers to create change. But you're right, business is the key to, to, to getting the job actually done. We can sit here and go, Hey, this is what we think. And you're an activist and whatever. Well, Nestle is not going to change. Sorry, Nestle, but, um, they, they make gazillions amount of dollars out of packaging and chips and stuff. So until that alternative solution comes in and it's going to be good for their bottom line, they won't change. Mm. They won't. So, you know, those types of alternatives to, to green engineering and, and that, that we've got to prove them up to then sell that to the big business. That's basically yeah. what it is. So let's get off this podcast and come up with a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I think I should protect and take three for the season. Yeah, pretty, yeah, two, two pretty good ideas. <laughs> I don't know. Look, I, I look at you, look at use Nestle as an example. Do you really think they're going to change anytime soon? Think how soon? much more money they would make if they came out now. I mean, Lewis, little legend, we, we try and reduce the amount of a cast. My partner's got a 10 year old son. School lunches, I've gone on about before. The amount of plastic in school lunches is just phenomenal. Those little chippies, single-use chippies, which are really tasty when it's late at night. But, you know, <laughs> imagine imagine the kudos they would get if that was made out of a biodegradable 
bit of plastic and that was going in every school. I don't think it's actually an, an innovation that will come from industry leading the way. I think it's actually going to be an innovation by consumers demanding change. And I think it gets back to uh, Tim's original point. You know, be, when you become more uh, connected to the problem and the potential solutions and you care about I guess the impacts of your actions, you do look for ways of actually mitigating those impacts and you go, well, okay, if I'm, if I want a chocolate bar, I'm either going to buy the, the bar wrapped in plastic or I might look for an alternative. And it's that, that change is actually going to come fr- and be driven by the individuals and industry will follow. So in terms of leaders, I think it could come from actually individuals. I'd like to see a, a government bloody stepping in. Sorry, I said bloody. Oh no, Helen, <laughs> Helen. <laughs> Sorry, Mum. I, I honestly think government. I'd love to see government step in, banning single-use plastic bags, uh, ba- ba- reducing si- or banning single-use plastics. You know, we know the city of Hobart, for example, uh, courtesy of Bill Harvey leading leading the way, which we'll get on the podcast soon. They're going towards a ban on single-use plastics by 2020. The city of Hobart, fantastic. How come more governments can't do this? But having said that. There's no point having a, a change in legislation or, or something similar without individuals, the community, knowing exactly why we're doing this in the first place. If we're going to do um, government changes or government-led initiatives, the individuals need to be educated as to why we're doing this in the first place. Can, so, I, can, can we just go back and, Tim, can you explain the whole concept of a circular economy? Oh gosh, you got a whole hour in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but you know what I mean. Yeah, look, I don't even um, – I don't even profess to be an expert on the circular economy, but it doesn't take long of reading into the theory behind it to sort of go, that makes a heck of a lot of sense. And like I said, the the two main ways I look at it are we can separate the society and the economy of stuff into two main realms. Either something is going to be biological, which is all the food and all the things you put into your body and many other things that exist in our societies, and then there's this technical, and technical going to be everything from this microphone to your laptop to, you know, the clothes that are on my body. Like it's just all that stuff which is essentially man-made synthesized. And at the moment, all of those resources that go into that come from the natural world. We mine, we synthesize, we take, we take, 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 take from the environment. And when we don't want this stuff anymore, particularly the very symptomatic single-use stuff, we just throw it away. We don't want it anymore. It's got no value, which is why we have landfills, which is why we have oceans filling up with plastic, which is why we have devastating scenes of polluted environments right across developing worlds. And so what we need to do is sort of say, well, hang on, there's got to be a better way. And I think we've been fed the idea that recycling works, that it's just this idea of popping thing in a bin and it coming back in a magical new transformed way, but that's not been working for us. No. It's all been externalised. We send it all to the other side of the world, wishing that some fairy is going to solve the problem. (laughs) So how about we actually look and say, here is Australia as a case study. We're creating all this stuff. Let's not export this waste over to the other side of the world. Let's actually invest in the solutions required to manage our waste within our Mm. own borders. Imagine the jobs and the growth Mm. would come if we actually were able to invest into circular systems here in Australia. Completely. Well, I... We'll bring up a good point, and I think I've spoken about this previously. In front of me is a Telstra modem, uh, a router-type modem thing. I th- This broke, and so I, it was only eight months old. I bought it from Telstra, rang them up, great service. Yeah, we'll send you out a new modem. Over there is my new modem. So as soon as I plugged it in, they knew that I was trying to get online, so they rang me straight away. I can't remember her name. Great service. 
And I said, well, so what do you want me to do with the old modem? And she just went, um, well, you can just throw it away. And I was like, well, what, what do you mean? She goes, well, you throw it away or you can just keep it. It's broken. And I was like, what, what, what do you mean? It tells you, are you making me now dispose of your waste? I mean, I remember when Foxtel 10 years ago, if you got a new, if you got a new Foxtel unit, they were Nazis. You had to give that unit back to them before you'd even, you know, think about getting a new one. Now, as you say, there's no value to that. Mm. So what am I just going to throw that out? Is Telstra trying to put that onto me? Sorry, Telstra. Um, but you, do you know what I mean? Exactly mm. what you just said. This is just waste. Yeah. Throw you away. Know, throw, throw away. away. And, and what you're saying now is, well, where is our, uh, Australian initiative to go, well, this is going to go to e-waste central, a new, um, startup, which is dealing with it. Is that really what you're trying to say? Yeah. In many ways, the, the, the system, system style approach to this starts even earlier. Like, do you actually even need to own that modem? Yeah. A big yeah. theme in the circular economy is looking at the concept of ownership, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, you don't want to have a, a modem in your possession, you just want Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we could actually look at the service that it provides, like a good example is like a printer, right? If you go into a school or a corporate office, there'll be a big printer in the room worth tens of thousands of dollars. The business doesn't own that printer. They pay someone to come in and service it and make sure that machine lasts mm. a really long time. Mm. Compare that to when you go to one of the big office stores, you'll go and buy one for $89 a printer same scenario. If it breaks, you give them a call. Hey, my printer's broken. Can um, can someone come and fix it? Uh, oh no! Look, it's going to cost us one hundred and nineteen dollars <laughs> yeah. to come and look at it. And so you throw it away, and you go and buy another eighty nine dollar one. So this planned obsolescence, this idea of just throwing stuff away, is doing us no favors. So innovative new models are going to come out that are going to disrupt the system. You know, the gig economy. There's people who come out with ideas of phones that you don't actually own, like Fairphone. We'll make it open source. We'll give you the blueprint so you can fix it. Imagine if your phone was in your possession, the same phone for 10 years instead of two years. Mm. Imagine the difference mm. that would make. How many, how many iPhones or old phones have you got in your top drawer? <laughs> we just did a partnership with Mobile Muster recently, so I got rid of all my old ones. Big campaign, everyone, because they all know e-waste is this burgeoning problem. We need motivators to say, go dig in, pull them out, because yeah. they will. They'll, they'll take but, the precious materials out of those. Totally. But. I, I've got I, – I look, I probably have lots, lots right? <laughs> but why I hold on to them? Because I think there's some value in them. You know, like what, 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 there is. What, well, for sure. But no, no, deep down, I'm like, I'm not going to throw away that broken iPhone that's just got a cracked screen because one day I might fix it. Mm. But really – it's going to sit in that drawer for another 10 years and do nothing. Mm. What about you? I mean, you must have uh, old phones. No, no. I, I, Bring I, back the old Nokia flip-flop. Yeah. You know, that, well, well, that, <laughs> where was someone the other day? Oh, we're up in Coffs Harbour and we're having a meal and it's with the, the Channel 9 people. And you know that distinctive Nokia ring? This and I, I can't even remember what it was. I don't think I've even got a sound effect. But it was, oh, my God, it's an old ring. This 85 plus old dude pulls out his flip flop Nokia <laughs> and just, just everyone, like people, young kids haven't even seen it in this bar. We're all like, Oh, that is cool, mate. But you know, he's probably had that for 25 years and it hasn't broken. Unreal. You know, but we're, we're building stuff now that, and as you say, we're building stuff now. My microwave in here was $99. Yeah. Like 99. If something happened to that, 
just throw it out. It's going to cost me more in fuel to get down to bloody Harvey Norman to come back. And that's what you're talking about is yeah. trying to reduce our, uh, I guess, demand for the single use products and getting industry to come up with a way to, to work around that, to, to, to build better products. Uh, better business models. Yeah. Yeah. As well. Absolutely. I think we're not understanding the true cost. This is a great conversation happening around fashion now, right? Fashion is, um, one of the biggest polluters in the world. When you look at the impacts of textile creation and of course, microfibers and all sorts of pollution from that. So people are now starting to look at the true cost, the human cost, the environmental cost and saying, do I actually feel comfortable going and buying that T-shirt for $9 from that major supermarket yeah. or that major store? No, I don't. So I think if we – and this sort of feeds into where you were at before, Brad, like this conscious consumerism. It's a very, very powerful motivator. And I love just looking at the big multinational companies. When they're out there doing their new product development, they're investing big time in that market research. They don't yeah. make decisions blindly like you and I do. <laughs> like They go and invest huge money into <laughs> making sure the market is ready for this stuff. And I've been to a few meetings with some big multinationals recently and they are all shifting their dial towards this stuff. And they, and we've got to make sure that stuff is successful. Yeah. Whenever we hear about them making those incremental improvements, we've got to try and make sure, celebrate that. Yeah. Celebrate that because that's what's going to turn the dial away from the bad and towards the good. So what are those incremental improvements that that you're seeing? Adidas have made shoes out of recycled plastic. They've sold more than a million of them. I mean, that's an example. Yeah, I mean, that's a good one. That was um, obviously initially on the scene, massive, huge PR marketing campaign, but they used that to test the market and now they've said, I think by 2025, they'll only be using recycled material in their entire product line. Awesome. So they'll be shifting away from virgin plastic. So Who's that's, that? Which company is that, sorry? Adidas. Cool. Adidas. Right. Adidas, we love you. Yeah. Sponsor our show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, give us some, give well, us some recycled plastic shoes. Just for everyone that out there, the, again, millions of listeners, any money we did ever make from the show because Acast are, are really, really good people, it is all going to our charities. So like take three for the sea seabird foundation yep. so if the more people that listen the more money we make the more money goes to tim and yeah it's a good point if you ever hear it like an annoying ad come along yeah um that's actually ad money ad money that'll actually go to supporting one of these five five charities thanks for listening to the ocean protect podcast episodes are released weekly and the next episode will feature part two of this chat If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.